Welcome to Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua. Excited to be back with you in this new year. But the year of 2020 will be one that probably we'll never forget. Through the global pandemic, civil unrest, economic downfall, and all of us really being you know, quarantined for so many months, it's led us to, to really some new areas of thought. And for investors, as we reflect on the past year, it's critical we revisit some lessons learned to better ourselves moving forward. And I'm really excited about you know, going through some of the investment lessons that we've learned during 2020. And so it's been a much anticipated topic that we've, we've been talking about and thinking about. But I'm Brent Pascoe. I'm founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, producer of Retirement Plan Playbook and Certified Financial Planner. Also here, as always, with Joshua Winterswijk, Certified Financial Planner. So guys, before we kind of jump into these investment lessons, how was your holiday season? Uh, mine was all right. You know, I have the new baby at home, so we did some, had some new Christmas traditions and saw our families. Um, it, it was a nice holiday season, very relaxing. Um, after we moved into the house and everything. So great time. It was different. You know, it, it was try to make the most of it, but a very different holiday, you know, with family separated and doing more drive-bys and trying to stay safe. So, but it was, you know, good. We try to spread that holiday spirit and enjoy that, that time, but a uh, very different year. Yeah. It felt like you couldn't really get into the same holiday spirit as you normally would. And you know, there's just so much joy during that time, but it was definitely different this year. Yeah, absolutely. Extra, extra, read all about it. Let's hear the latest hot takes on some recent news items. So let's get into the news. We have some hot take headlines for you all today. Um, Congress finally passed a coronavirus virus stimulus 2.0. Really came out in a 5,000-page bill. I'm not sure why they can't keep things in short form. I don't know, understand why they have to make it so long. But there's a $600 stimulus check extension uh, to unemployment benefits and small business get enhanced employee retention credit and paycheck protection program too. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it should have came a little sooner, right? I mean, we, we knew a lot, of, a lot of people are struggling right now, especially in certain industries throughout the economy. And honestly, you probably wish it was a little bit more. Um, I, I know they want to give people more money in the checks and kind of some of the Things we've seen in the past week with, with elections probably leads to more money coming down, um, you know, in Q1 of 2021. Long time coming. Glad they got something done. I'm really glad the president didn't cancel it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what that was about, but there's just so many Americans that are hurting right now. Um, you know, that $600 is going to go a long way. Yeah, I guess that was my next question is really like how far does $600 really get people? I mean, is that really even helping them move the needle? You know, I feel like that was, you know, the feeling from a lot of people that it took so long and then the final outcome was $600. You know, if this would have happened maybe four or five months ago when they first started talking about the second stimulus, okay, you have some more time to maybe potentially roll out another. But I think that's, you know, a lot of the thought is took them so long to just pass 600 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been my thought too. But if you start to also look at, you know, I saw some statistics that, Savings accounts are at all-time highs. Credit card debts are at really some of the, the lowest points they've ever been. So, I mean, it has to, you know, some of the stimulus has to be working. Yeah, I think a little bit. And then I think, you know, what's overshadowed, too, is just, you know, the extension and the, the addition to the unemployment benefits. It's not just about the stimulus. So the people who have lost their jobs, you know, do have another, you know, aid besides just a stimulus check. Yeah, I agree. So we had another big start to the year. The results from the Georgia election are in. Democrat John Ossoff defeated David Perdue. 
and Democrat Raphael Warnock defeated Kelly Loeffler. The Democrats' twin win will reshape the balance of power in Washington. They'll now have an even 50-50 split with really Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker. Democrats will control the committees and the legislations and nominations when they're brought to the floor. How much does this now really pave the way to potential tax changes and other agenda elements that might impact us next year? You know, when some of those we've talked about in previous podcasts. Yeah, I think that it makes it a little easier for them. It was going to be extremely difficult for them to pass, you know, a lot of their legislation with a Republican-controlled Senate. But now that there is a split and um, Kamala Harris has the, the tiebreaker, this makes it a little easier for the Democrats to, you know, potentially change a lot with our government. But also, it is a slim margin, right? It is a 50-50 split with just a tiebreaker. So, you know, everything that they want to pass has to have a complete backing by the Democratic Party. Not one can potentially disagree. Uh, hopefully they could get the infrastructure spending going. Um, you know, this is a chance for the Democrats to really get something done. Um, what a fail by the Republicans. Um, they will look back at, you know, this, this stretch in this Georgia election and the history books and you know, just really talk about how, how the party, you know, failed on multiple policy fronts to get to where they are, where the Democrats can control everything. But ho- hopefully the Democrats come in and, and, you know, get some policies passed that would actually be good for the American people without a lot of fighting and bickering going on. Because, you know, I think 95% of all Americans are, you know, truly sick of what we see out of our elected officials. And the thought of a blue wave is kind of like a far thought, like, going into the election, right? It wasn't, re- the probability of it was pretty slim. And then now we're, we're faced with having that blue wave. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a lot of missteps by the Republican Party got us, got us here. But I also think that, like what Josh said, is, you know, there, it, it, it's still a thin margin. I mean, you can't just assume that because you have sort of that blue wave that everything is just going to get passed through. I mean, it still has to go through a lot of hurdles. And that's the same with the House, the, the margin's thin. So, right. you know. Yeah. So for anybody who's panicking, thinking that we're heading this country into one direction, I think that's still based on, you know, the way that the House and the Senate is. I mean, I don't think, you know, not everything's getting passed through here the yeah. way the margins it, are. No, no, not, not at all. And I think um, the tax stuff that people are scared about is way overblown. That's not going to happen. Nobody wants to raise taxes. And especially through the time of pandemic. I mean, you know, you're we're passing stimulus checks and extensions of unemployment benefits and aid for small businesses. But there's going to be this huge tax increase. I mean, I just don't think that that's likely yeah, right. right away, at least. Yeah. And the margins, I think, like you said, are too thin within the legislation to, to be able to say that it's just going to be able to pass right through. Right. Now that we've warmed up with some hot ticks, let's go to the retirement planning corner and see what's on the docket for today. All right, let's get into the next section of the show, the retirement planning corner. Today, we want to talk about really what investment lessons we learned in 2020 really could start talking about, you know, some investment lessons that have always been important, but they've been, they've really just been reiterated and reaffirmed going in and as a result of what we saw last year. First one is really to have an investment philosophy. Tell us a little bit about that, Matt. Yeah. Um, first, I guess, can I, I'm going to hit on just how great of a year 2020 was. If you were a disciplined investor and you followed your plan, you had a career year. Um, this is the year that, you know, they write about in textbooks. I don't want to say it was an easy year to make money, but it was the just that kind of year that makes your your career. And I, I think you know the three of us and, and a lot of our our clients were very successful because we did have an investment philosophy. 
So yeah, what an investment philosophy is, is it's just a, it's a set of beliefs about how you should invest your money. Um, are you passive? Are you active? Are you doing IPOs and SPACs? Are you um, doing blue chips? What is it? What's your strategy? And it takes a long time to come up with your own investment philosophy. It took me, you know, 15 years to realize I even needed one. And I've spent the last three to five years just kind of crafting it to, to my own personality, essentially. Right. Um, but it's so important to have. And if you had an investment philosophy um, as kind of your first pillar of your investment plan, in March, you weren't freaking out. You were, you were sitting there being like, well, what's my plan say? Okay, let's start buying then. And we got, you know, there's some great, great deals. How does the novice investor really develop, Josh, an investment philosophy or stick with one when, if they're controlling it themselves? If they are controlling it themselves, I think, you know, educating yourself. There's tons of research now through online and books and educational courses. It's going to take some time to develop, like Matt said, an investment philosophy. And start simple right? Start with um, simple investment philosophies. Passive right now is really easy to invest in and it's cheap. Look into a passive philosophy. Um, But one thing that I always think of about when we're talking about philosophy too is ask yourself, what is my investment philosophy? If you can't easily answer that question, you don't have one. And so, you know, that's just kind of that first step is, am I always changing the way I'm investing? You know, if I can't answer that question, then maybe I do need to sit down write down my goals and really educate myself on the philosophy that I'm going to stick to and believe in. Yeah. And I think if you're thinking, you know, I don't want to spend the time to develop my own investment philosophy. I don't want to do the research or spend the 15 to 20 years of making mistakes to get to the end point where you really have a good investment philosophy. I mean, hire an advisor, right? Yeah. That's going to be the easiest way is hire an advisor to help you. And even if it's just hire an advisor to teach you an investment philosophy, right? Or go right. through your options as an investment uh, philosophy, but they can definitely help because, you know, they're the experts. At the end of the day, you find an advisor that, that really matches up with your philosophies in life and goals and investment strategies. Absolutely. The second one that we have is make sure your investment plan matches your risk tolerance. Josh, what does this mean? So I just look back to March when the market you know, went down, let's say 31%, depending on the index you were looking at, how did that make you feel? You know, when you saw your account values go down, and if it was 31%, or if it was only 20% or 5%, you know, that is really the test of your, your test of your risk tolerance. This year really tested the tolerance that you can take within your investments. And so if you were unable, and it forced you to make changes, or, you know, it drove fear and uncertainty, you weren't confident this year with your investment plan or your investment accounts, maybe your tolerance isn't in line with your goals and your plans. That's really what it means to me. And this year was a really, really good test of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to look at yourself and it goes back to the philosophy. Look at your personality. Are are you the type of person who is willing to forego your paycheck to start a business? If the answer is no, I like, you know, getting a steady paycheck, you know, once a week or every other week, then you're probably actually more on the conservative side. If you're the type of person who's out there, you're an entrepreneur, you have that spirit, you, uh, you have no problem um, creating your own paycheck, essentially, then, then maybe you're a little bit more aggressive with the market. But most people are actually, um, should probably go about it pretty conservative, and they end up going about it pretty aggressively. Yeah, when I think about risk tolerance, though, like my, my head always takes me towards the financial plan and goals a person has. 
Because like, does a risk tolerance exercise like actually work? So in the mar- when the market went down in March and like, if you're starting to panic, you could really assess, do I have too much risk in my portfolio? The question is, is like, really, do you have your eyes set on the long-term and short-term goals that you've established for yourself? And if you're getting so emotionally taken by what's happening in the news and the market and your risk in your portfolio, maybe you should be a little bit more focused on your plan and establishing those goals in a little bit more fine-tuned detail so that doesn't really interfere with any, any mistakes that you make or any decisions that you have. Yeah, totally. All right, so let's get on to the next one. Uh, don't try and time the market. What does this actually mean? So I'll take this one. Um, what it means is you're never going to predict what the stock market's going to do. It's essentially a 50-50 coin flip on a daily basis. Let me just give you an example from last year. As the pandemic was worsening, the stock market started going up. Why? Nobody really knows, but the fact is that people saw good bargains among companies and started purchasing them. Um, let's look at just the, you know this past week. There was an attempt on the capital of the United States, and people entered it. You would think the stock market would go down. It didn't. It went up. You just can't predict it. What's going to happen? And who knows? Maybe you know we'll be sitting here in six months, and the stock market will be down, and the world will be back to normal, and everyone will be traveling, going to concerts, going to parties. We won't be wearing masks anymore. But maybe the market will be down for some other risks that we just don't foresee right now. If statistical data, Josh, suggests that timing the market doesn't work and it's really you know, a low probability event, why do so many people try to do it? I hate to say it, but a lot of it is driven by, you could say it's fear or even greed, you know, of missing out. The fear of missing out, the fear of I want more, right? I, and not being okay with the boring, which is just buying into the market. And a lot of things that I see is, you know, especially just when questions I get from friends and even just family of, hey, let's, let's buy Amazon. It's done already well this year. And by the time, like, all of that information is processed, it's already reflected in the stock price, and we're already behind the game, right? So it's trying to pick the stocks, trying to forecast, trying to outguess the market when the market's just so much faster at processing that information than you. Right. So you're just already behind that eight ball of information, and you know, that leads to lower expected returns as we've seen in the research like you show. So I think it's a lot of variables, but I think those are the main ones. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think we've all made that mistake to try to watch a stock and think, oh, okay, it's going to go a little bit lower to just continually watch it go up. And then if you want to get in, now you're paying you know, 10 15% more than what it was when you started wanting to buy it. Here's something too that's a little crazy, and this is going to sound a little counterintuitive to most people, but it actually becomes easier to time the market as it goes lower than as it goes higher. Meaning um, when we're dealing with you know a February, March sell-off or even like a sell-off like we saw in 2008, 2009, the lower it goes, that's when you should start your dollar cost averaging strategy. And eventually you're going to hit that bottom and it's going to be you know, a stair-step ride to the top. So counterintuitive to what most people think, but it's actually easier to time the, mar- the, the market, I believe, on the way down than on the way up. But what's happening on the way down to people that prevents them from really jumping in? You know, they're getting scared or nervous. It's fear-driven. But it is practicing like good philosophy, though, too, of what you're explaining. It's, it's buying low mm-hmm. and selling high. I mean, and a lot of times we don't, you know, with our houses, we think of it that way with an investment. Like when your house is low, you don't really necessarily want to sell it. But when your house is appreciated and the value is going up, we have this 
thought of selling our house and selling high. But for some reason, for a lot of people, that's just a lot harder with stocks. Right. When the stocks are going low, and maybe because it's, they're priced every day. But as they're going lower, we get nervous. We don't want to add money when we know potentially that's what we should be doing. And then as they're going higher, that's when we potentially want to buy them. That's the wrong time to buy them. I mean, is the thought, you know, if you've been watching a stock and you're, you're trying to time the stock and it's already gone higher, don't you just get in and then if it drops lower, you just put a little bit more in? Yeah, you, you could do that. Um, that actually doesn't work for me. So I have a, when I'm actually trading an individual stock or investing in one, I have a completely different philosophy. Again, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but on that side, I like to buy new highs. Um, there's a lot of research around purchasing companies as they're kind of breaking out, I guess, and hitting new highs. That that's much better than buying them when they're down. Because when they're down, there's something fundamentally wrong with their business. Mm. And you could end up with a, you know, a loser that you're holding for you know, three, four, you know, 10 years or longer. I mean, a great example would be like General Electric, right? Like their business has been down since 2008. They've never really turned it around. No, they haven't. So what, when instead you could have bought like Apple or Amazon on one of the many new highs it hit. Yeah, so if you're thinking about buying a stock, just stop waiting, buy it. Yeah, and, and also just open up your time horizon. I think a lot of times we're thinking about the short-term return, right. like the next six months this company's going to do well, right? But is that company really going to be doing well in five years or 10 years? Think of it in a little bit bigger of a time horizon. I think that can help too. Okay, so let's get on to the next one. Understand your portfolio. Explain what having an understanding means, and if you aren't a seasoned investor, what does that really mean to you? Yeah, in investors, when we're looking at understanding your portfolio, again, this goes in line with philosophy and strategy, and really looking at what type of investments and what allocation you have in that portfolio. So stocks, is it bonds, is it alternative investments, and really having an understanding of how all of those assets actually work and how they work together within the portfolio. So if you have all stocks, how are they working? What's the expected rate of return? If you have a blend of stocks and bonds, what is the goal of the bonds and how are they working in the portfolio? So in doing your research on that will help you again with philosophy, with risk tolerance, and that understanding of how this portfolio is actually going to help you going forward. Yeah, I think it's uh, really well said by Josh, but you mean you could even put it simpler. If you're investing in something, you should be able to explain it. If you're investing in the stock market, you should understand it and be able to explain it to somebody. And same with the bond market. I know we try and help our clients by explaining it to them so they understand exactly what they're investing in. And you can even look, um, I remember during the Bitcoin craze of 2017, I'd have clients be like, Matthew, I want to buy Bitcoin or I want to buy ethereum or any of these crazy crypto coin yeah any, any of them and i'd say okay well that's great you know i could show you how to do that but could you explain it to me what you're investing in and none of them could do it so i was like well if you don't understand it then we can't invest in it yeah i think it just falls in line to risk tolerance investment philosophy having a good understanding of your portfolio i mean it takes a lot of software to really have an in-depth detail if you want it on your portfolio and to me i mean just hire an advisor unless you're seasoned enough and want to spend enough time doing it let your advisor explain it to you so you can understand it. But I think if you're starting out and you want to do it yourself, I agree with you, Brent, totally. But if you are starting out, definitely have that understanding first. Like Matt said, I mean, if you can't explain it, if you don't understand it, that's just going to make you feel more comfortable, which will allow you to make better decisions. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, be flexible with your investments. Tell us a little bit about this. So when you're looking at your investment plan, I think in a way you have to be able to slightly deviate course. 
um, when, when things aren't going your way. A, a good example would be, you know, let's say there's a, a, a sell-off and you have some money set aside in your portfolios, you know, maybe it's down 30% or something for the year. Well, that's probably a good time to maybe actually take your portfolio and get more aggressive. I know, again, it's counterintuitive and it might be against your, your plan and your philosophy, but like we were saying a few minutes ago, it's a little bit easier to time things on the way down. And so maybe you put a little bit more money in, maybe you take your percentage allocation in stocks a little bit higher because they're now cheaper. But yeah, be flexible with your plan and don't be afraid to make a change. Yeah, and I agree with you, you, Matt. You have to be flexible because we can't predict the market. So being flexible is, again, just going to allow you to make better decisions. Yeah, I agree. All right, number six, uh, stick with your plan. What's your thoughts on this, Josh? This is just like perfect for 2020. Like this year has just been such a roller coaster, not only with the market, but just with news. And sticking to your plan again, you know, allows you to not be influenced by all of the turn of events that have happened in a particular year or time frame and allowing your investments and really getting the benefit of the market. You know, we are investing to get return on our money. That's like the whole goal, right? Is we want our money to accumulate or even if you want capital preservations, but sticking to that plan allows you to achieve those goals. And if you did this year, it's just a great example of how it benefited you because this year ended positive or this last year, I should say. Yeah. And if you didn't stick to your plan, um, get back on it. You know, if you pulled money out in in March and, and you've been sitting here wondering why the stock market's going higher and you haven't done anything about it, contact an advisor, um, do it yourself. It doesn't matter, but get back in there because you're hurting yourself. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when the market's dropping, that's not a good time to change your thoughts on your plan. You know, you're probably changing your plan when you have a life change or your job changes, something happens within your family. Those require changes to your plan. It's kind of hard to, you know, continue to focus on those, you know, with the year that we had last year. But even with the downtimes that we saw in the market, I mean, you could still stick with your plan if your goals haven't changed and stick to the plan and write it out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and be able to lean on someone that you trust that can help you stick with it as well. Mm-hmm. And number seven, the last one, don't listen to the news. I think this one's fun, you know, considering everything that we've had, not only in 2020, but already to start 2021. How can really the news impact your future, your money, your life, your investing? So I've said it before on on the podcast, but the news makes money when you turn in. The newspaper, CNN, Fox News, whatever your news source is, they make money when you either pay for it or tune in. Therefore, it's in their best interest to scare you and keep you tuned in. You should probably just turn it off and and, and stop looking at it. Um, It's not going to make you any money. All it's going to do is make you really mad, um, possibly confuse you, and make you make bad decisions. Um, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they're not staying around all day watching the news. It's toxic. My rant's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was good. I was hoping there was a little more. Um, but a, a good just kind of thought to this as well is, all of that commentary, and it changes, right? When you're watching the news, they're always talking about something new a new investment, a new strategy, and all of that commentary can really challenge that plan, challenge that discipline, challenge your philosophy, and why do you want that distraction? Watch the news to stay informed. Don't watch the news for investment advice. 
you know, do your own research, hire an advisor like we talked about, and the, the latest investment fad is, you know, there's going to be a new one tomorrow. So, you know, don't let that take you off course of what you've really planned for. I mean, how many people are watching the news in March and April saying I should invest more money in the stock market? It's all red. I mean, you turn on the TV and it's just total fear of red dropping, um, you know, back in March is what I'm talking about. But does that tell investors like, this is a really good time to take some of my money and invest more? Probably not. I mean, you had the best opportunity that you're probably going to have in the next decade. And you just watched the news to teach you and tell you you shouldn't be doing that. You lost that whole opportunity because it's so toxic and it takes you off all the things that we've been talking about, all the important fundamentals it takes to be a successful investor and all the lessons that we learn. Don't let the news change you from what your goals are. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It was the best buying opportunity since 2009. Yeah. Yeah. We could have watched it all go away. Instead, we kind of just ignored that noise and we, we followed the philosophy and the fundamentals, and I think that's what you know, keeps you on the successful track. It's time for RPA Recommends. All right, let's get into the last part of the show, RPA Recommends. I know it might be a little bit harder after we just got through the holiday season, but what do you have for us now? I'll start. Um, I got, so my wife for Christmas got me some Thursday boots. And I had one, I've been looking at them for a while and she finally, um, or not finally, but she got me some for um, Christmas and love them so far. Really comfy, was looking for some new boots. Mine were thrashed um, just for more casual wear. Um, but they have men's, women's, um, and really, really enjoy the boots so far. Been wanting them for a while and uh, I'm wearing them today. So you guys can check them out. I- I've never heard of them, have you? I'm uh, he showed them to me a while ago that he was interested in them. Um, I'm going to make a slight crack at Josh, like all Josh things that took, you know, nine to 12 months for him to actually pull the trigger. <laughs> and I didn't even pull the trigger. My <laughs> wife bought them for me. <laughs> what do you have for us? Um, I have um, a kind of a weird recommendation for me. I'm going to be coming up with some different ones now that I'm a homeowner. Um, and this one's a shout out to my mom who got me this little housewarming gift, but it's um, some soap. And it's called Dawn Power Wash. I actually believe it's pretty hard to get, so I'm going to be a little disappointed when my bottle runs out, but it's for doing the dishes. And essentially, it's kind of like it's a spray bottle, and you just spray it on your dish. Then you take your, your towel or your rag, and you, you, know, you clean your dish, and then you dry it off, and it's done. Is it a foam? Yeah, it's like a foaming um, spray bottle soap, but it's, it's like the best one I've ever seen. Mm. And so my mom was swearing by it. I used it and loved it. My mother-in-law was like over at my house and she was using it. And she's like, oh, I got to go find this. So it's, it's really good. And I think it's probably like, you know, five, six dollars. Highly recommend it. I, I definitely need to check that out. I think I've seen that on it. Like there's like a following to it. Like people really love that stuff. So I'll have to check that out. Good recommendation. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I haven't heard of it either, but I haven't heard of the Thursday boots. And I'm excited now that I have something to go look for. I, I think Target for, for people who are looking for it is from what my understanding. If people are like me, uh, I don't carry around a wallet, never have. I don't like the feeling of something like a thick wallet in my pocket. So it's been like this big challenge that I've always gone through. I've dro- lost my driver's license a couple of different times, taking my phone out of my pocket. And so I've always just carry like my cash and wallet in my pocket, which has probably been a huge mistake for so long, obviously, because I've lost things. Wait, you're not one of those guys who has a big wallet with all your receipts in it? No, I can't sit on my wallet. I, I can't put one in my back pocket. It's just not for me. So I did actually get one of those Apple wallet cases that just attaches to the back of your phone. And so now my, my cards are just in my uh, Apple wallet, it attaches to the phone. And 
you know, I'm feeling really good about hopefully now not losing my cards. <laughs> do you like it so far? Yeah, I do. And yeah. um, is it like, does it latch on there pretty well? Yeah, so it sits on there really tight and, you know, you really got to give it a good pull for it to come off. And when it's in your pocket, it's not dislodging from the phone. So it's probably like the solution that I really needed that, you know, my phone's already going to be in my pocket in some capacity. It doesn't really, you know, add anything to my, my pockets. If you wanted to, could you take it off and kind of use it like a card holder? Yeah, absolutely. Like you, if you're just like, I want to keep my cards in my pocket, but I want to hold my phone. Yes, absolutely. I think yeah. that might motivate me to get the new phone. I, re- I really like the setup. Yeah, Apple's just brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I was at the barber shop the other day and uh, my barber had one. I was like, oh, that's pretty, pretty clean. Um, I might have to get one of them. So Josh just said he wants an Apple, new Apple phone. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll inform everybody by the time he gets it. So we're probably looking at Thanksgiving. <laughs> what, what iPhone are we on? Is it iPhone 12 yeah. or 13? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to take that back, though. I was on the annual renewal. I waited. So um, uh, an extra year, and it's been a little longer than I thought, but I, I'll give an update. The, the, next new show. One, the new one will be out by November. So at that point, you're probably just going to be waiting yeah. anyway. You should just wait at this point. Yeah. <laughs> As advisors, though, we, we truly do love helping people, and that's why we do it. Uh, that's why we put out this content. That's why we put out these shows. Uh, if you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. And also download our ebook from our website. And if you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. As always, thanks for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook, and, and thanks for listening to us. Thank you. Thank Happy you. New Year. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcast. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.